umgoblue.com. By fans, for fans. Since 1999. Hello! Welcome to this very special edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with... Clint Derringer. We are embarking on a very special presentation. We're going to look back at Michigan's entire season. The preseason, the fall camp, all the way through the Orange Bowl, and look back at all the things that the players and the coaches said so that we can all, as Wolverine fans, enjoy and hopefully uh, see that the players and the coaches really were targeting this success all year and they really came through to us. To understand how the 2021 Michigan football team was built for success, we need to go back and look at the abbreviated disastrous 2020 season. Much of the season got erased, lots of disappointment. Michigan ended up two and four and things really jumped off the, the tracks. Michigan State entered Michigan Stadium and just shocked Michigan 27 to 24 and things kind of spiraled out of control after that. Clint, what were your thoughts as that as we were watching that Michigan State game? It was strange that Michigan just could not make plays specifically in that game and it was uh, really a culmination of many problems that had been uh, lived through by the fan base and the players and the coaches. Uh, throughout Harbaugh's tenure, you know, it was uh, anything that could go wrong went wrong, and none of it felt new, but it all came one time, and it was just a gigantic snowball. And as awful as we felt uh, on that day, right, it was a three-point loss to a team that almost everybody in the state on both sides of the rivalry expected to be, you know, a, a multi-score touchdown, you know, multi-touchdown victory for for Michigan. So. Um, it was still a close and winnable game, as terrible as it was, but uh, on the backs of, of expectations for the for that team in 2020 and being at home and Mel Tucker being in his second game after just a tumultuous offseason in 22, it was just so out of left field that really the, the, the doomsday scenario started to creep into even the most optimistic minds, I would say. The frustrating thing for me was I had watched a little bit of tape on Rocky Lombardi heading into that game, you know, the, the Spartan quarterback, and he was not a great quarterback. And he had the game of his life, and it's interesting because he didn't even retain the starting job that year, and he ended up leaving the program. But on that day, and, you know, they say every dog has his day, on that day everything went right. It's the prototypical rivalry game. Anything can happen, and, and anything did. But it really, you know, the previous week, Michigan had won 49-24. to 24. Hopes were high. People were excited to have any kind of football to watch. And then it's just started with a really bad taste. And, you know, the Wolverines went on to drop two more games before beating Rutgers. And that even that was a triple overtime win. And then closed out the season with a loss to Penn State, 27 to 17. So again, you had a, a lot of issues going on. You had the COVID. You had, you know, the abbreviated schedule, but left a really bad taste. And we start with this because I really feel that that was the genesis toward some really monumental changes for the Wolverines. And uh, 
you know, the first thing that happened is late in December, defensive coordinator Don Brown, who had been pretty successful at times, uh, you know, for the Wolverines, ended up being let go. And I think that was the first domino in, in a series of changes. Yeah, and as that six-game season went on through 2020, the defense was clearly the weak point, uh, giving up 42 points against Rutgers with a very um, simple uh, offense, right, from an X's and O's standpoint, and uh, and also a, a limited quarterback with an arm that wasn't very strong. They still were, were getting torched in, in the secondary. Penn State, you know, comes into the big house and wins after they had started 0-5 on the season. So a lot of the data points and, and um, what we saw in the numbers from 2020 were really crazy across the, the entire national landscape because of the pandemic and, and, and multiple reactions to that. But Michigan's defense was clearly bottoming out after a really, really successful run for Don Brown in Ann Arbor uh, showed some weakness in 2019 uh, specifically at home, you know, to end the season against uh, Ohio State, and then in the in the bowl game against Alabama, you know, got torched a little bit. It was his low point to that, um, you know, at that point. And then the 2020 season, really nothing went right. M- Michigan State was the team that scored the the least against Michigan, with uh, with Rocky Lombardi, like you mentioned, and and. Penn State, 0-5 Penn State, scored the same amount of points, 27. So it was clear that the Don Brown era needed to end and we needed to move on. But that that whole, that certainty came with more questions than answers because Don Brown had been successful. Um, was it his fault, right, or, or was there something foundational that was causing the problem and Don Don Brown had to be the fall guy. That was the question, I think, in our minds uh, for you and I and and for a significant part of the fan base. Is it Don Brown? (laughs) Can you fix it by switching the coach? Or is there something deeper here? And and the questions about Harbaugh started to swirl pretty, pretty hard too. You know, and the thing about Don Brown is we started to hear little hints of discontentment, what we saw during the 2020 season was that things just weren't working and the players were, I think, trying to make suggestions to be a little bit more effective and he was going to run the defense he ran. And again, it was it was time for a change. So obviously, um, you know, there was no bowl game and there was a little bit of, I guess, a cloud swirling around the program. Um, and, you know, that really came to a head real early in January when the details of Harbaugh's new contract came out. And he went from making a little bit over $8 million in 2020 to a base salary of $4 million for 2021. Yeah, and, and this, again, was really swirling around from even before the 2020 season when the pandemic kind of gripped the entire world. Uh they knew, you know, Ward Manuel and Jim Harbaugh had both, you know, said, don't worry about it. We know that he's going into a contract year. We've started talking about an extension. You know, we'll get it done. The pandemic, you know, displaced everything and everybody. And there were bigger fish to fry, I believe, was the phrase that that Harbaugh 
you know, started to use in the spring leading up to the 2020 season, we'll take care of it. It's not a big deal. Um, there are bigger fish to fry right now, like figuring out whether there's going to be a season and how they can practice and, and, and kind of reimagining everything about the program. So that made sense at the time, but nobody expected Michigan to be two and four and look terrible in really all six games in some facet or another. So those two things came together and merged at the end of the season into January, like you mentioned, and he signed an extension and it was never really made clear what the, what the drivers were, but what we could see based on the numbers and the terms is that both parties, Harbaugh and the, the, the athletic department, it was a lot easier for them to move on from this particular contract extension. So if either of them needed out or wanted out after the 21 season, it was going to be financially tenable no matter which one wanted out. So again, that was a, a, a downer, I would say, on the fan base in terms of state of the program type conversations. You and I you know, said, hey, it, it is what it is. I think the university put themselves in a strong position and we'll see how the season goes. And then um, it was really difficult to see that as anything other than this could be the, you know, do or die season for the Jim Harbaugh era. It was definitely a point of, I I think it was definitely an inflection point where, listen, you got to, you know, come through and, I think that there was the opportunity, as you said, for the athletic department to walk away from him. And definitely the point where, listen, you've been here for a while. You'd, I, I call it shuffling the deck, right? And been successful, but not nearly as successful as we would like. And the two and four season kind of put it in perspective. And I think the thing that really showed me that Harbaugh, despite everything he said was feeling the pressure, right? Um, right after, or, or very closely after the uh, extension was announced, Harbaugh spoke at a high school coaching clinic and the slide made its way around uh, Twitter of, of his goals. Right. And, you know, great stuff, you know, awesome for coaches, you know, raise all those with whom I come into contact, put players and staff in position to be successful in life and in football. That was the first thing. Second, create an atmosphere in the workplace that supports teamwork, friendship, and winning, an atmosphere that brings joy each day we'd come to work. Good, good stuff. Number three, develop and administer a process plan that supports team success and winning. Be a member of a 2021 Big Ten and national champion Michigan football team. We're all behind that. Treat others as I would want to be treated and create a personal relationship with all those I come into contact. Um, That sounds great. Having bumped into a few times, I'm still waiting for my personal relationship. And (laughs) the last one, and this is the one that really jumps out. Do not be scared of any man, moment, circumstance, or of being fired. And the of being fired is the one that really kind of tipped it tipped off to me as being a change. Yeah, I, thought, I, I agree that I think Jim Harbaugh of any previous year probably could and would have said any number of those other things. 
uh, in the same context at a, at a coach's clinic. But yeah, to specifically address the, the threat of being fired was, was newsworthy, I think, uh, even retro, even in retrospect, first of all, but also, um, it, it was clear that he was putting him himself, right. Acknowledging that he was on the hot seat and that he was going to make decisions, uh, regardless of, of whether that risk of him being fired and let go or, or his tenure ending at the university, um, that wasn't going to be a driver for him. And, and he, he said it in pretty clear terms there. Um, and, and I think with some of the changes that were made from that point forward through the spring and the spring ball and, and some staff turnover things and some uh, personnel decisions and player decisions, I, I think that we can now kind of put the pieces together that, you know, Harbaugh had some changes planned and, and cultural changes, personnel changes, right? A, a lot of different ways to say it, but he was going to do what he thought was right and what was best. And he was not going to be conservative in the interest of relying on what he knew worked in, in a lot of cases. And that at that moment in time was certainly risky. You know, and, and, but he kind of called his shot and said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna take these risks because I think that's what's best, and that's my, uh, that's his role is to uh, to kind of direct the program and do what he thinks is necessary to be successful going forward." So, um, in retrospect, of course, you know, and we'll talk more about the specifics, I'm sure. Um, you know, it's it's just a huge, a, a huge kudos to him. Not only for 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 doing it, but but he communicated it pretty openly and publicly, and then you know called his shot and then actually hit it over the wall. You know, to extend the analogy, he he did what he said he was going to do, um, and certainly swallowed a lot of risk. And then we know, you know, that the end results were were certainly very successful. Definitely uh, a harbinger of changes ahead, and you know, just a week after that. Ed Warner was fired. And it's interesting because on one hand, uh, Ed Warner was popular. I liked him. I thought he made a lot of positive change among the offensive line. But in some of the analysis that you did, it showed that um, some of Michigan's uh, trouble or failures to run the ball hadn't really improved that much under him. So it was interesting because I remember being shocked when Warner left. And again, it was, hey, Harbaugh's back and, and changes are coming. Um, you know, uh, a little while after that, we also had got the news that quarterback Joe Milton was entering the transfer portal. So we were going to see some changes uh, under center, expected him to continue competing, but he had decided to leave. And I think this is when things really became clear that there was a monumental shift under uh, happening underneath the staff or, or being moved into staff. And, and Clint, uh, what were your observations as some of these changes were happening? Well, I, I extended my, my own personal thought process from, from what Harbaugh had put out there publicly in that, in that slide presentation that he didn't, he didn't talk about players or coaches or support staff or recruiting. He didn't talk about anything specific or anybody specifically, and he was all-encompassing. It, it was clear 
that he was driving for a culture change. And, and it's really over, I would say it's overused in terms of uh, talking about a football program at any level. Um, but a positive and winning and successful culture is absolutely critical to any organization. And it, it I think that it just gets kind of laid bare more in a sports organization and especially in football. You're right. You win or you don't. You're gaining yards or you're not. You can stop the other team or you can't. So success and, and the ties to the outward uh, cultural markers are linked pretty easily together for fans and, and for people that follow the program. So when there were personnel changes, like you said, Ed Warner, that one was a huge question mark to us again because we did we did highlight that there was still room for growth as an offensive line, um, as a unit, and that the new incoming offensive line coach was Sharon Moore, a promotion for him um, because he was given the co-OC title as well. But it was a, so he got a new position group from tight ends to offensive line and a promotion and um, really big shoes to fill because Ed Warner, when he came in, what he accomplished was he plugged a huge hole in Michigan's offense in terms of pass protection. So the, the previous regime on the offensive line was NFL-based, NFL-centric, hyper-complex, lots of terminology, and when players made mistakes, and it was frequently, there were protection breakdowns and the quarterbacks were getting killed. Um, and Ed Warner came in and helped simplify all of that, and immediately the pass protection and communication up front improved, and we felt that as offensive line success, qualitatively, I would say. When we looked at the run game numbers, like you mentioned, we saw that what uh, – Warner had done is maintained a similar level of success as uh, his predecessor had Tim Drevno, right? That it was basically, well, Harbaugh, he's a power offense guy, likes to run the ball first, establish the run, so to speak. And Warner came in, maintained the same level of run success, probably Harbaugh anyway, and then plugged the big hole on pass protection. And that's a net game. Stay the same in the run game get better in the past game offenses are better and, and i think that remains true the offenses were better when ed warner was the offensive line coach than before that so what we wanted to see was could sharon moore do the same thing could he come in and at least maintain the same level of success that ed warner had established being new to the position first time ever coaching it although he played it at oklahoma sharon moore played a tackle at Oklahoma, but Ed Warner has you know, a decades-long career of coaching O-line and, and had shown success. So what a huge wild card and risk, again, for Harbaugh to take to, to replace somebody established and a known commodity, so to speak, in the coaching realm with uh, giving somebody a shot, uh, giving Sharon Moore a shot to prove himself as the O-line coach, but also uh, coordinating the run game in the uh, as the offensive as the co OC working next to Josh Gaddis, so that was definitely one of the decisions that uh, Harbaugh was foreshadowing when he was talking about uh, making decisions regardless and not being afraid of maybe getting fired. Because if that one clunks and misses, 
and you go back in time and, and your offensive line is terrible in 21, then, you know, he, he's got a, more than a foot out the door if that offense tanks and, and you made that switch. And that wasn't the only change. He also brought in Mike Hart, you know, a former Michigan great, had coached at Indiana, came in to, to work with the running backs. And when you look at Sharon Moore and Mike Hart, it began to signal the shift that the team, the coaching staff was getting younger. And they, I think, and again, this comes from kind of watching the team, you know, and kind of reading between the lines that they were shifting to guys who, instead of being a top-down coaching philosophy, more of a collaborative, more of a, having more in common, people who played the position, people who could relate in a different way. And it's not that the previous coaches were bad. It was just a different, it seemed to be a different mindset permeating through the program and really had a lot of questions about how that was going to work. Yeah, absolutely. The youth movement, quote unquote, was was legitimate. And another huge piece of that came in really in a similar time frame as Mike Hart did was Ron Bellamy. Right, Ron Bellamy came in on the heels of winning the first Division One state championship in West Bloomfield High School's history. And when he took that program over, they were a bottom dweller, right? We're talking winless seasons in high school. So to really climb that mountain from the base all the way to the very to the to the apex, to the summit, um, was hugely impressive. And then coming back to his alma mater, the same way that Mike Hart was coming back to his alma mater. There was previous drama from 2007, specifically between Mike Hart and Jim Harbaugh. All of these things were put to the side for the good of the program, and everybody w w was pushing in the same direction and bringing their energy um, and their direct ties to the program. And I think that was really kind of the mortar between the bricks, is that he wanted to bring in and reestablish the connection with Michigan guys, former players, former support folks, former anybody that had a role in, in Michigan athletic department and football program. He wanted to really relook at that tree of people and, and start giving some of them a chance to be more involved directly with the current team and program. And I, th I really think that that was the thread that tied a lot of the specific personnel moves together. Well, and the other change was with the exit of Don Brown, Jim Harbaugh needed a new leader for the defense, and he reached out to a different part of the family tree, right? Um, he reached out to Baltimore in the NFL, where his brother coaches, and I'm sure they had some conversations, and Mike McDonald came, young guy, definitely uh, a very different energy than Don Brown, shall we say, right? And I remember thinking, wow, Mike McDonald, listen, I'm all for young coaches getting uh, an opportunity. But I remember being really surprised that um, McDonald was the way that, that Harbaugh was going. And not that, um, not that I had any specific concerns, but it, it definitely signaled this uh, youth movement, right? This, we're going to try to th do things differently. We're going to try to shake things up. And heading into spring camp, we really had to, we had a lot of questions about how all these pieces were going to come together. 
and we had questions about what we are going to be seeing on the field. Right. And the defensive staff turnover, um, you know, when all was said and done, the only holdover was Sean Nua, the defensive line coach. So not only was it a new coordinator, but a totally new staff um, from all over the, you know, from all over the map, so to speak. And there was a similar dynamic to what I was just describing with Ed Warner being replaced by Sharon Moore, um, you know, the youth and the, uh, the fresh perspective and the shot to be a first time, uh, first time in that role, first time coordinator. Right. But I think if I remember where, what you were communicating back at that time was the, the NFL, what works in the NFL doesn't always work in college because of the complexity. Right. And it's, similar to what we said a couple minutes ago that the problem was with Tim Drevno on the offensive line as compared to Ed Warner, right? It was, was this guy, 34 year old coordinator who only had a couple years of GA experience at Georgia in the college game, going to be able to bring NFL concepts to a college program, put the staff together, train the staff in a, in a way that, the staff could then teach the kids that new system. That is a lot of question marks. <laughs> and to, you know, if you were to say that there's 10 major question marks there, you're really hoping that you get more positive answers than negative, And you'd probably take that again. I think we were hoping for something not as good at down as downtown was at his peak in 2016 and 2018 but better than 2019 and 2020. So we, we were hoping to kind of return to the pre-pandemic statistical days or analytical days, um, but certainly certainly didn't expect the success, again, that, that ended up coming down the pipe. And another huge wild card and risk taken by Harbaugh immediately after kind of calling his shot on, you know, no fear of being fired with the decisions that are that are coming the other coaching hire, I think, that was uh, really active or had an impact right away uh, in the spring of 21 was Mo Linguist coming in to coach the defensive backs. It was the the biggest hole uh, on a defensive unit that you know was was really really bad in 2020. Um, the the secondary's inability to stop big plays was was probably the biggest root cause of the loss to Michigan State, like we had said. So Mo Linguist comes in to, to coach the secondary and is also given uh, the co-DC title uh, before spring ball and instantly made an impact on the recruiting trail. He, he made a handful of offers within days of being hired onto Michigan staff, and, and some of those guys he ended up closing with, and they actually committed uh, during the signing period. So he really hit the ground running as a recruiter, Mo Linguist did, and he was actually coaching the defensive backs um, through the spring period uh, as uh, as 21 moved into the next next phase there. An off-season of change, new coaches, new philosophy, new contract for Jim Harbaugh. Michigan starts spring practice, and this is what Jim Harbaugh had to say about that. So far, so good. Uh, the... Uh particular guys, uh, you know, a lot of them are those, are those starters returning, uh, but you know, throughout, throughout the, uh, throughout the, throughout the entire team, I mean, as a whole, um, 
you know, they've been doing a, a very good job of, you know, of attacking each day, uh, of being accountable, of, uh, of uh, you know, keeping holding each other accountable too, and, uh, and uh, doing it with a bounce in their step, having some fun. So again, there's a typical Jim Harbaugh, kind of understated, but giving his feelings on how the team was reacting, not only to the, uh, the new schemes, but being back in pads and, and working through practice. Yeah, I think we heard a little bit there about uh, guys that were returning to their positions, right? Leaders, you know, uh, is kind of implied there. And he's kind of tipping his hat to the, the leadership job that those players are, are, had been doing at that point in time, holding, holding themselves accountable, holding each other accountable, and keeping a positive attitude, right? Everybody pulling in the same direction without bickering and infighting. It is kind of, um, you got to kind of read between the lines, as always, with, with Jim Harbaugh. He's going to give you, um, you know, he's going to give you just the facts <laughs> a little bit. You know, there's not much there. And it, it sounds a lot like, uh, you know, boilerplate coach speak. Um, but, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, we know that he's, He's talking about the guys that uh, he would later talk or call the the ones the the really critical player leaders that um, were were stepping into leadership roles uh, heading into the spring camp. So it was interesting because Jim Harbaugh gave us a take, and then we got a little bit more insight into what was happening from the perspective of. Aiden Hutchinson, and he also addressed one of the reasons why he decided to come back for this season. Everyone in this building, every single coach is kind of ecstatic, and and you can kind of feel that high energy uh, in practice. Um, Like in practice, I've seen some energy, some things I've never seen these past three years being on this team. Um, Just just those little things that you can tell um, that guys just want to play ball and um, guys are just fired up whether that be the new coaches, whether that, that be they just love football. But you can, you can tell in practice that, that there's a different type of energy around Shen Beckler. There were a lot of factors going to my decision. I think the, the biggest one is just come back from my teammates and uh, lead this team to, uh, to get on the right path. Um, obviously, we had a disappointing season last year going two and four. Uh, it's not very Michigan-like, so uh, I want to come back and – um, kind of reset the culture here and get back to our winning ways. The thing that I like about this is you can already see how not only is Aiden Hutchinson coming back for him, but he's coming back for his teammates. He's coming back for Michigan. And, you know, he was a leader last year, but you can see him really coming into his own and, and finding a higher level of leadership. Yeah, you could tell, I think, the the level of disappointment ending the 2020 season on an injury for for him and then obviously the lack of team success um in the 2020 season you can kind of hear that and, and we saw it on his face and he really did a good job of bottling that and using it as motivation but what was really powerful at this point in the season was that your your best player uh at least outwardly and expectedly your, your your player leader, again, the guy who's going to be the, the tip of the spear for this team in the locker room and on the field is saying a lot of the same things and, and preaching the same 
know, singing from the same hymn book as as your head coach. And that is a good sign that, that you've got everybody pulling in the same direction. And, you know, it, sometimes everybody's just kind of reading a script, you know, but uh, if, if everybody is actually, you know, bought in on that on that concept and on that philosophy and, and, and really uh, pushing in the same direction, then, then we see, you know, that you've got a chance to, to put something special together. So we started to uh, at least get encouraged that we were hearing the same things from Harbaugh and from, from the players. Lots of questions coming into spring practice, but I think the biggest question mark was how the defense was going to be transformed. So it was really, it's really interesting looking back to hear what Mike McDonald had to say. It's 11 guys flying around and there's a certain feel you get when you plan for one another. When you become a selfless football player, you're playing for the guy next to you. It's different. It's just different. And it looks different. It feels different. All right, to the offense, it feels a lot faster, a lot more physical. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying, and I, and I assure you that they're going to be proud of what they see out on the on the field. We're going to do everything, baby. All right, we're going to pattern match. We're going to play zone. We're going to play man. We're going to have it all. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be multiple, and the, the best way I can describe our scheme is, I mean, it's going to look a lot like the places I've been together in in uh, previously, you know. Um, but you look at watch the, our Baltimore defense and, you know, tell me the times that we look like a three, four, you know, there's going to be a certain percentage there. Okay. But there's a lot of times we're going to look like we're a four, three. There's sometimes we're going to look like we're a six, one, you know, there's sometimes we're like a six, two. Okay. Sometimes you're not going to know what the heck it looks like, you know? <laughs> so um, that's hard for me to say that we're going to be a three, four per se. Uh, the thing about our defense that I think makes us unique is that it is a series of concepts, okay, that we teach. Like, for example, there are things that we'll teach our guys that there's no even call involved with those concepts. Okay, we're teaching this concept today, this concept tomorrow. We marry them together, okay? And there's going to be more of that, but you layer it over time, and now that gives you the flexibility, okay, to build certain fronts with certain coverages, certain pressures, okay, that allows you to, one, let your guys – do well what they do, you know, and to, you know, stop the offenses that you're saying. You know, one of my concerns coming in was here you have a guy from the NFL and it's easier to do some things in the NFL because A, you have better players and B, you have a lot more time to work with them. So I really appreciated his enthusiasm here and um, I, I, I really liked how he talked about, you know, players relying on each other. But I was really wondering how it was going to play out at this point. Yeah, the listening to it again, the the individual clips all sound great and create energy and, and get you excited about what he's talking about and how they're going to do it. But they don't necessarily go together logically. You know, eleven guys flying around. Typically, <clears throat> that happens when you've got guys that understand their assignments so well they can just read react and go right see see the ball get the ball that everything is second nature like breathing and you can do that in some combination of experienced players or a a simple simplified system right and 
being a new coordinator coming into a job and then saying that you're going to be sometimes a 3-4, sometimes a 4-3, sometimes a 6-1, sometimes a 6-2, that doesn't necessarily imply to me that you're going to be able to download all of this information to 18 to 22-year-old college kids and and they're going to be able to play fast and you're going to have 11 guys flying around. So certainly led more uh, evidence to – uh, the defense being a question mark again, not uh, not a negative uh, feeling at all from from what we heard from Mike McDonald. It was all very encouraging, but you had to wonder whether they were going to be able to teach these concepts and layer them in as they were saying effectively with uh, the staff coming together and and not having worked together as as a staff for for more than a couple months. So. The questions were, were well-founded, and um, I, I again, it's it's impressive to me that well, what the coaches were saying at this point last year, um, you know, was was backed up with action and with results. Absolutely, spring camp ends, but coaching drama was not over because we had an unexpected departure. Yeah, Mo Linguist is offered a, a head coaching job and a D1 job at Buffalo, and of course, you know, takes that promotion. And uh, so your co-defensive coordinator after spring ball is now turning over. And again, your your defensive backfield, which was our greatest liability in 2020, is now again without a without a coach. So um, this opened up a spot and brought in another really key piece of the 21 coaching staff, in my opinion, um, and Harbaugh hires Steve Klinkscale away from Kentucky, somebody he had pursued previously and made made offers uh, to, presumably in the past, but uh, was able to close the deal this time. So Klinkscale comes in um, to coach the secondary, and there's a, kind of a pretty – audible sigh of relief from the fan base, uh, at least those that follow recruiting closely, because Mo Linguist was such a positive impact immediately on the recruiting uh, trail that there was really only one guy that would have been uh, able to fill the shoes, and it was Steve Klinkscale, and Harbaugh managed to get him. So there was at least a a crisis-averted feeling, um, because staff turnover after spring ball (laughs) – you know, the very first snap of a football that Klingscale is going to coach is going to be uh, in fall camp in August. And that was um, just another challenge. But at least there was some optimism that uh, we had a lot of faith in Klingscale as a coach and as a recruiter. Um, but another question mark about a new coach fitting in, teaching a new system and new concepts. And are they going to be able to be 11 guys flying around, as Mike McDonald had said? We flash forward ahead to the beginning of fall camp. Offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis gave us some thoughts on some changes to the offense that he saw being implemented. 
Um, but, you know, uh, that's got to be a commitment to run the ball. And, you know, we've got to obviously start games fast. We've got to play great complementary football. And I've got to stick to it. You know, there was times last year uh, per game that, you know, I kind of got away from it. And that's a little bit of acknowledgement, I understand, um, you know, for myself. And, and uh, you know, we've got really good running backs. Hassan Haskins, uh, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, those guys need the ball. And so uh, we've got to make a firm commitment to run the ball more. That's how your numbers go up from that standpoint. Uh, and then also, you know, the uh, seeing Coach Moore and the development that is taking place on our offensive line. Really excited about that. You know, we um, when you look at it from a depth standpoint last year, uh, we've got uh, seven offensive linemen right now returning that started football games for us in the past. Uh, we played ten total offensive linemen in a six-game schedule. So uh, to say it was a swinging gate or, or the door was swinging open, uh, it was interchanging every week. And so to see some of those young guys, you know, having played four offensive linemen that were freshmen, uh, three of those guys are returning. Um, seeing their confidence grow, seeing their experience that they were able to get last year in such a short season, uh, we're looking forward to that uh, translating into you know execution and success. And I feel really good about the offensive line. I, I think you know I, I like where we are. We've got some really really good talented players, some young players, uh, and they're playing really well together right now. Think about our running back position, the depth there that we have, and you know Son Haskins, who he's been, you know he's the bell cow of our offense. You know he's a guy that needs the football. Uh, Blake Corum, a guy that you know is a special talent. And in fact, you know, I don't think a lot of people were able to see last year how special Blake is because he was just a true freshman. You know, so to see his growth that he's had uh, in one year and then adding Donovan Edwards. And then also, you know, our depth at the quarterback position. You know, it's, um, although we don't have what some would consider a returning starter, um, we feel good about the depth. And, and to see Cade take over this team, to see his leadership, obviously people saw him last year fill in and, and bring our team back in certain situations. But the thing that I think was most important last year is people saw how our team gravitated to him. They saw his leadership. They saw his command of the offense. Um, that's what you want in your quarterback. You want someone that's going to be your signal caller, someone that's going to be your most impactful leader. And Cade's a guy that, you know, he makes everyone else better around him. And we have the uh, 100% faith and trust in him. Uh, and I think that's exciting, you know, from a, from, an, from an offensive coordinator standpoint and an offensive standpoint. And then also our depth at receiver, you know. And, uh, and so I, I like where we are. I like our tight ends. There's not one position group that I don't like. I think um, we've had some young players, Eric Alls, the Roman Wilsons, the A.J. Hennings of the world that have got valuable experience. And I truly believe this year is the time that they show and display the type of skill set that we know they have in this building. Well, when we talk about our identity, we collectively we, we've done that as a uh, as a staff. We've done that uh, as an offense. And, and the three letters, okay, and the three words that that mean the most for us offensively. First is physicality. We want to be a physical offense, whether that's downhill uh, physicality where we're knocking people over, whether that's a style of play. Physicality comes in so many different forms, not just in you know what you choose to run, but how well you run it. Uh, and then we want to be a smart football team. You know, we want to be a team that when people say uh, cut on Michigan's football. Team, football tape, they say that's a well, that's a well coached football team. Um, that's something we're going to take tremendous pride in. Uh, this camp is, is, you know, knowing our fundamentals, knowing how to execute them, knowing our answers, but also being able to go and play smart football, not beating ourselves. Uh, and then the third part of that is precision. You know, we want to be as precise in what we do, and that's the technique, the fundamental part. And so, you know, when we talk about our identity, you know, we've used the term in the building PSP. You know, we want to be physical, smart, and precise, and, and we want our players to embrace that identity uh, because if we can focus on those three things, the outcome will determine themselves. But I really think it's interesting that even in fall camp, 
Michigan had kind of put this marker down, we're going to be running more, right? And I know myself, I was kind of, I gave kind of a little bit of an eye roll going, yeah, we've heard that before, right? But when you think about, when they talk about the depth, right? I mean, the depth on this team at running back is incredible. And remember, there was a little bit of heartburn that we had had, you know, some players leave the team and we're wondering, you know, Charbonnet left the team. We're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Well, you know, looking back, perhaps one of the reasons he left the team is that the running back room was so full. And as opposed to past years where we would hear how full the room was, but we would only see maybe one or two backs, because of their continued dedication and success in running the ball, there were more than enough carries for everybody. And, and they really, um, you know, were able to do that. So it's interesting looking back that not only did they kind of call their shot with what they were hoping to do uh, at the running back position, but they also mentioned, you know, um, Gaddis also mentioned some of the key players who, who really sparked the success of the team um, throughout the entire season. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of light bulbs that go off when you hear that clip in in retrospect, right? The first needing to run more. Michigan in in 2020 passed the ball on 60% of the plays since I've been tracking in uh, in the Harbaugh era. That's the first time ever that they passed the ball more than they ran the ball. And whether you divide it up by standard down, passing down, first, second, third down, first, second, third quarter. However you divide up the data, they were passing more than running. And uh, it sounded immediately to me that, that Josh Gaddis took uh, accountability for that as the play caller, right? That was his game planning and design. And then also he felt that perhaps he had uh, reacted or overreacted to some early early challenges in games and abandoned the run um, and and the 2020 team would go from bad to worse or the situations would go from bad to worse uh, in that scenario. So he took some accountability there on the front end. And I think we saw that, uh, you know, de he developed as a play caller uh, in 21 and then the depth uh, really being solid at all of the positions, feeling comfortable at quarterback, um, a big difference uh, in the lost season of 2020 between the offense and defense is that the offense put in guys that got valuable game experience um, where on the defensive side, a lot of the guys that ended up getting playing time when the starters got hurt um, were, were maybe second or third or fourth string guys. And some of your young future players didn't get the game experience on the defensive side. I think that was another shortcoming uh, for Don, Don Brown that we mentioned, but Josh Gaddis and the offensive staff in 2020, even when things were going poorly, they were able to get guys a lot of meaningful game reps, especially uh, the offensive linemen that ended up really uh, coming together as a unit going into into 2021. So all of that really led together. And, and of course, it was held um, with his core belief about being physical, smart and precise. And, and obviously, we're, you know, we know that that was their their core belief early on, and then that uh, that core belief obviously makes an appearance later in the season, when 
uh, you know, make some headlines talking about that being their core belief and why they thought that that would work for them. So interesting stuff in retrospect from Josh Gaddis. The interest in the defense continued to peak throughout the summer. Lots of questions, lots of thoughts. I believe that people, fans, thought that Michigan might be able, should be able to find its way offensively. But with the huge failure of the defense last season and all the changes this season, there was a ton of interest in what Mike McDonald learned in Baltimore and what he would be bringing to Michigan. And, uh, you know, he had some interesting things to, to say about that. You know, I'm not, I mean, in terms of what, like, what happened before I was here, I'm not, you know, like I said, when you get here, you're kind of listening to things, people's perspectives and things like that. I'll kind of leave that in the past. You know, there's, but again, like there's principles and, and just ways that you believe in how you do things. And, um, you know, coaching is teaching. And that's a big part of it. And uh, in order to teach your players, you have to know who you're teaching, you know. So that's a big part of it. So big, I think a big priority on the coaching staff is just get to know who the guys that we're going to coach, you know. Like I'm going to coach Aiden different than I'm going to coach Dax Hill or, you know, just Spate. Like they're all different guys, you know, and just different ways of doing it. And I think it, I think it helps when you have a relationship with your, with your guys. So that's been a big stress since we got here. I think that's a misconception is that you look at the, the, the Ravens defense and what uh, Wink has been able to do with the rest of our staff for the last few years. And you're like, man, like this guy's flying all over the place. Like, we don't, And that's kind of what we're trying to create here. But I think the secret sauce is that it's really not that complicated, you know. So, um, again, it's just different concepts layered together, you know, where we're trying to compl- create complexity to an offense, really trying to make, like, the, the offensive QC, like, you know, a living nightmare. You know, because I've been there. They got to drop all the blitzes and stuff, and you know, not a fun place to be. So, yeah, we we want big, fast, aggressive, smart football players. I mean, across the board, that's what we're looking for. Uh, again, I mean, it's just, let's not overcomplicate it. Um, you know, there's exceptions to every rule with all the heights and weights requirements and stuff, and you have different heuristics that you're looking for. Uh, you know, if a guy's just a complete baller you know then we're going to make it we're going to make some sort of um you know adjustment in terms of like height and weight and all that kind of stuff we're looking for but that's it i mean just the best biggest fastest football players that that we can find yeah i like being the underdog you know we've got a lot of work to do and there's a lot of there's a lot of noise out there and this is the time in training camp where like okay hey you don't like what they're saying like this is the time to see how good we can get you know, so we roll the ball out there on, on the fourth, we're ready to rock. It's interesting to me looking back because, you know, Mike McDonald kind of acknowledged the elephant in the room, right? That while not calling Don Brown out by name, but he knows that he's coming in after a guy who did have a fair amount of success, but ultimately couldn't get the job done for what Michigan needed, Right. And again, you know, I, I think that, and we, we talked about this previously, that as the staff moved to a younger, um, more collaborative um, stance, right, it seemed like Mike McDonald's is saying here, yeah, I need to work with people. I need to understand them as opposed to, 
a top down. This is how you do it. We're always going to do it. We're never going to change. Right. And I'm kind of like listening to what we heard through Don Brown's tenure here where, Hey, this is what I'm always going to do. No matter what, this is what we're doing. Right. People can be critical. And here, um, McDonald is acknowledging, yeah, there's a lot of criticism out there. And I'm telling my guys, Hey, you know, the, the way you change it is to perform on the field. Yeah, absolutely. I think the difference between the spring Mike McDonald clip and the, you know, fall Mike McDonald clip is, is you can feel his comfort on a personal level with uh, the people around him. You know, he, he's now been working with those guys, the other coaches and the players and uh, is, is comfortable, you know, and confident that they've been able to do the necessary core things and that they're going to be able to play fast. Right. So what the concepts that he was hoping for in the spring, to me, I hear kind of a sense of of confidence that, um, that he was starting to see it come together at that point, um, going into fall camp and, uh, you, you hear him acknowledge two big things. First, the, uh, the thing that I mentioned before that didn't align with guys flying around playing fast, but new system being complicated. He goes, yeah, the secret sauce is it's not that complicated. It's designed to look complicated for offensive coaches or QC quality control coaches who are trying to watch film and and make a scheme to, to beat you. He's trying to make it hard on those guys and and guys and coaches up in the box who have to adjust mid game. But for the players, that it, it's relatively simple, and, and that's really uh, a beautiful way of coaching and teaching to take something very complex and, and be able to break it down into the simple elements and components that your players can can latch onto and then execute quickly. So that was a, a big positive, right? It was like the lingering question mark from the spring addressed, you know, directly in the fall. You know, I, I definitely felt a, a little bit better after hearing that, but, you know, still was kind of, a, we'll see, we'll see how it looks, but that he's saying the right thing at that point. And then, you know, a little bit of edge at the end where he says, yeah, I like being the underdog. You know, yeah, there's a lot of talk out there and, and you know, who are we to, <laughs> to talk back? You know, we got to do it on the field. This is the time to actually do, do the work, you know, put up or shut up. So, um, you know, that's a, that was that was really the the right note to to end on, you know, heading into fall camp, uh, and, and and yeah, yeah, it was a positive, enthusiastic, and, and and ready to kind of, you know, attack attack the next day, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how this goes. You know, we'll find out right away whether whether we're for real or not. And uh, I, I liked I liked the way that not only what he said but how he delivered it. And but as you said, coach speak is great, and we're always excited. But we needed to see how it all worked in the field, right? So fall camp ends. Michigan heads into game week. And um, while, while many of us, while many people believe that Cade McNamara was going to be the starter, there hadn't really been an official announcement yet. So one of the first things, uh, game week, Jim Harbaugh addressed that. Cade McNamara... Uh, as our starting quarterback, um, you know, he's constant improvement. He's, he's ratcheted it up, uh, you know, really in, in, in a lot of different areas. Uh, you know, the biggest one, consistency. You know, just, uh, 
consistency of uh, you know, doing his job. Also, uh, call it a talent of really um, making everybody else around you better. Um, maybe that is the most important job of a quarterback. Plan to play KJ as well? Um, well, I mean, all options will be open. You know, all options will be open about uh, playing JJ or uh, you know anybody else on the roster. Really locked in. Um, really knows uh, knows his assignments. Um, great work ethic and just the unselfishness. I think uh, probably is the biggest thing uh, that sticks out about his leadership. You know, his his uh, desire to get the ball. You know, to the playmakers and uh, make people around him better, including the offensive line. So that's a pretty strong endorsement that Cade McNamara was going to be the quarterback for Michigan, at least at the beginning of the season. But you know, you could hear there was a question, well, are we going to see J.J.? Because the fan base was percolating with that. But it was interesting because one of the things I think we'll see as we go throughout the season and we hear some, you know, the players, is that um, Cade McNamara always had a lot of support, okay? I don't think there was dissent among the team, um, and that's nothing against J.J. It's just that um, there's kind of two realities, right? There's the reality out in kind of uh, social media and talk radio and things, and there's kind of the reality that you observe every day. And one of the things that we were able to see being around the team and talking to the players and hearing what they said is that it didn't really come as a big surprise to, to many that Cade McNamara was going to be the start. Well, there's a couple things for me. First is, is again, when Jim Harbaugh says something clearly and definitely, I'm, I'm going to take him at his word until proven otherwise, right? And, and he said it in the spring. You know, we I don't know that we played the clip here, but we talked about it in the spring before the season that, oh, that was the first time that Harbaugh's mentioned a starting quarterback this early right usually it's competition 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 all the way to the last day of the fall camp and we'll find out who the starter is when they run out on the field for the first game and this season lead up to 21 he named Cade McNamara very very early on and stayed consistent with that and um, you hear a, a, a common thread from Josh Gaddis and Jim Harbaugh about leadership you know, and making the guys around him better, consistency, making the right decisions, and all of all of the discussion from coaches and players about Cade McNamara. Not one time do they mention throwing the ball, right? The closest that you get to any physical act is distributing the ball to playmakers, right? It's it's all about decision making and leadership, manning the huddle and getting the offense into the right position and, and having the right understanding based on what he sees. And we saw that as, as, as the season went on, that Cade you know, had that as a strength in the preseason and continued to build on that, uh, that consistency and understanding of what the offense is trying to do, how they're trying to attack the defense, and, and making decisions on the fly. First game happens, and... Michigan looks spectacular, right? To give up an early touchdown to Western Michigan, give up a late touchdown to Western Michigan, but Michigan just 
thumps Western 47 to 14. And I, I remember at the time there was, you know, some chatter in the media about, oh, they only beat them, you know, by that much. But what's interesting is, you know, and when we have this hindsight, right, that Western went on to finish eight and five. And just a few weeks later, they beat Pittsburgh 44 to 41. And Pittsburgh's quarterback ended up being third place in the Heisman Trophy voting, right? So, again, you know, again with Michigan, you're always going to get chatter. But I, I, I remember thinking at the time, like, how bad do you have to beat somebody, right? And I think that some of that was kind of the carryover um, from, from last season. Now, interesting things looking at the stats, right? You had Michigan just dominating on the ground over 300 yards rushing. And what was interesting is you had, you know, Blake Corum leading with 14 carries for 111 yards, but you had Hassan Haskins, 13 carries for 70 yards. And what's funny is Haskins wasn't even the second most leading rusher because A.J. Henning had uh, had an end around for 74 yards. Um, also, when you look at the uh, quarterback stats, um, J.J. McCarthy, 4 for 6. Cade McNamara, 9 for 11. J.J. had one touchdown. Cade had two. Now, um, unfortunately, it wasn't all good news, right? And I think that um, it also highlighted um, another, uh, I guess, media storm and, and firestorm from even some of the fan base, right? You had Ronnie Bell, who basically, you know, has one catch for 76 yards, just looks electric, scores a touchdown. Everyone's, you know, everybody's just going crazy thinking about, wow, what are we going to see from Ronnie Bell? And then he touches the ball on a punt return and, and gets injured. And that was, that was really tough to see. Yeah. Um, and maybe the best catch of the day was called uh, not, not a catch, or, or they threw a flag for offensive pass interference and took it away from a one-hander on the uh, on the right sideline. Um, just an amazing performance by Ronnie Bell, and I think he got injured just before halftime, right? And and the punt return that he got injured on was a 33-yard return. He was absolutely electric and explosive, and then the 21 season was just snatched away from him in the blink of an eye. And you're right that really the, the media environment after this game was, it was really a no win situation for Michigan. They won big, but okay, you're supposed to, because it's Western Michigan, right? If you lose close or if you win close, that's a bad thing. And obviously if you lose the game, that's a horrible thing. So, okay, you won big, you were supposed to, so what, Right. J.J. McCarthy came in and made a rocket laser throw all the way across the field to Dalen Baldwin and wowed the uh, the entire fan base and and kept uh, the air in the uh, the quarterback controversy media narrative first and foremost and then also the the questions about Ronnie Bell returning punts um, and your best receiver returning punts and and taking that risk was was the next story right so michigan plays well the defense looked solid gives up two scores uh offense obviously like you said racks up over 300 yards on the ground 
none of that is really front of mind for anybody in the fan base or in the media because you still have a quarterback controversy and now Ronnie Bell's down and is it was it a bad personnel decision? So it's still still kind of a narrative looking for for support, right? There's still some some folks that are looking for some drama uh, despite a, a really solid week one victory. You know, and I'll tell you, you, you mentioned that play that was just a crime that it was that it was erased, right? Just an incredible catch by Ronnie Bell. So you see Ronnie Bell as a receiver. You see Ronnie Bell with an electric return, which unfortunately he was injured on. But my thoughts were, oh my gosh, this is the second coming of um, Desmond Howard or Charles Woodson, right? And nobody made a peep when those guys were on special teams, right? So it's interesting that on one hand, there is a thought that you get, you should put the football in the hands of your best player as often and as many ways as you can, right? And we've seen Jabril Peppers in past season use that way. We've seen other players use that way. But, oh my gosh, there's an injury, and oh my gosh, this was the wrong thing to do, and Jim Harbaugh, what were you thinking, right? And one of the things that I, I really thought that came from this was, you know, when you have a team, and you're trying to find an identity and you're trying to gel, right? Sometimes pressure and criticism from the outside can kind of bring that team together. And there's no doubt that Ronnie Bell, had he played last, you know, the season throughout, would have had an amazing year. But his absence kind of pushed some other guys to step up quicker, right? And of course, at, at you know, post-Western Michigan, we didn't know that was going to happen. I mean, I know I was concerned. And even though we just heard the clip of Josh Gaddis talking about all the offensive weapons they had, I certainly didn't feel that way. So it's interesting in, in retrospect to see how it turned out. Um, and, and again, it's just, it's one of those things, you, you know, there's a reason you play the games. And unfortunately, sometimes bad things happen. Yeah, I think the fine, to, to kind of put the, the fine point on the end of where we are here. You go through spring ball and then fall camp. Ronnie Bell's your clear number one. You know, in in basically one half of work, he shows why he's he's that guy leading the wide receiver room, leading the offense, and being the explosive playmaker. And then he's gone. Poof. So from from an offensive standpoint, your your core philosophy is uh, the run game and being physical. They showed that in Western Michigan. I think they had to retool the counterpunches then going forward, right? The Ronnie Bell leading the wide receiver room um, and then disappearing really presents a challenge now. So at least your core is still your core. You're, you're going to lean on that offensive line and your deep stable of running backs. But what do you do? You know, what do you do when the defense adjusts, right? How do you counter the counter? That was going to be a new challenge now for for the coaches going forward into the uh, into the rest of the non-conference schedule. And the team definitely um, was struck by, you know, the unfortunate nature of Bell's injury. Yeah, it's very difficult seeing a teammate, a brother out there hurt. Um, Ronnie's a big part of this team, and uh, I'm praying for. A, 
whatever it is for for him to be able to be okay in any sort of fashion. I hope. Um, obviously, it's super difficult, and uh, yeah, you hate to see it. Huge challenge for the team, and uh, you know, at the time, the injury looked really bad. Um, you know, you hope for the best, but unfortunately, um, you know, in the prep work for the next week. Jim Harbaugh um, confirmed uh, that that Ronnie Bell was going to be out. It's a shame, Ronnie. Uh, right, one of our players of the game. Um, he's having a f- phenomenal game. Really, along with Blake, making the big plays, carrying our offense early in the game. Um, got the big play on the on the long pass. Great uh, contested catch and then finish of the run, and then the. Uh, one of the best catches I've ever seen in my life, a one-handed catch, and he was able to stay in bounds. Um, you know, very, very clean and uh, tremendous catch. Uh, punt return in which he, he got injured, unfortunately. Um, but he was just just having a having a great game. You know, when when somebody goes down, it creates opportunities for others. But at this point in the season, you know. We had no idea how that was going to turn out. Yeah, and it's from a football standpoint, obviously, but again, the the leadership w- was another concern for me. It was clear that Ronnie Bell was the emotional heartbeat um, for for the offensive unit and, and maybe for the the entire team uh, at that point. And uh, I remembered, I flashed back in my mind to when uh, Aiden Hutchinson. And Quiddy Pay were hurt in 2020, and the team crumbled. Um, so I, I was definitely concerned, and, and keeping an eye out for how the uh, the players and and the other leaders in the locker room responded, and how they would look emotionally going into week two, in uh, what everybody had circled as the the premier non conference game against Washington, um, or in early September there. Next, on Episode 2 of the UMGoBlue.com 2021 Michigan Football Spectacular, Coach Jim Harbaugh recalls his time as an injured player at Michigan to inspire Ronnie Bell. From my own personal experience, having a season-ending injury, um, the best way to not to be left out is to help out. Running back Blake Corum describes the focus that the Wolverines bring to every practice. You know, no one's a... Uh bull crapping around I would I guess you could say everyone's taking it real serious everyone's taking it personal and everyone just wants to get better each and every day um and iron sharpens iron and Jim Harbaugh fires back at critics about the Wolverines reliance on the running game there's a lot of ways to travel I mean some people choose to travel on the ground some people by air and defensive lineman Christopher Hinton makes a profound comment about the challenges ahead we kept a really positive attitude uh, throughout the whole game, uh, through all the ups and downs. Um, so I really like that about this defense and this team um, this year, and, and we just got to keep that rolling because, you know, every game is not going to be sunshines and rainbows. Subscribe now to get this episode as soon as it drops. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.